Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2006 This is Jane talking about Step 11. I'm Jane and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm so grateful to be sober today and it's amazing to see all these people here. It's a fantastic weekend. Unfortunately, it's not God's will for me to be able to share this entire weekend with you, but... um, I'm just grateful that I can be here for some of it and that it's here. Um, the Steps groups have done an amazing job yet again to put on this meet, um, this weekend. Um, I was sitting there meditating just briefly and um, and for me my meditation has... Prayer meditation throughout my sobriety has been a very dynamic thing, a very fluid thing, and I think it's progressed, you know, the longer that I've been around. And where I'm at with it today is that it really is just about observing what is right now. And what is right now is that my stomach is churning, my blood is pumping through my head at 90 miles to the dozen because I'm actually nervous, and that's okay. You know, I don't have to run from those feelings anymore and that's what I've learnt through my practice of this step, you know, that it is okay to be just as I am right now. At least that's what I'm going to tell myself right now. Um, I came into this program having essentially handed my will and my life over to the care of God as I didn't really understand him at the time. I got on my knees the night before I had my last drink and looked in the mirror and saw that there was no one home in my eyes. You know, I just saw death and a lack of connection with the world. And I got on my knees and I just asked for help. I didn't care where the help came from. I didn't care who gave it to me. I just needed help. I had, I just completely surrendered to the fact that my life was crap and it probably wasn't going to be around for much longer if I kept on drinking. I'd actually been told by a doctor that um, if I kept on drinking the way I was going, I would be dead within 18 months, and that it was at the tender age of 26. So, you know, I had ulcers down my esophagus and I was throwing up blood. It was, it was not, a pretty, not a pretty thing at all. And so this, this happened actually about six months after that, which goes to show how powerless I was over my disease because in the face of that information, I kept on drinking. I just knew no other way. So I'm a bit warm. It's that blood that's pumping. Um, you know, so I got on my knees and um, uh, the following night I had what to date was my last drink and um, the following night I got a phone call from a friend of mine who's also in this program and still in the program. And I told her that I'd had an awful night the night before and that I had rung AA that day. And she told me that she'd been going to meetings for three months and would I like her to take me to a meeting? You know, and thank God for that phone call. So I knew from the get-go that something other than me was up there or out there helping me, you know, because I don't know that I would have actually come to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous on my own. So she brought me to a meeting a week later and I got hope. You know, I identified with people whose 
physical stories were entirely different to mine, but I heard about the disease of, um, disease of alcoholism and I felt very relieved. And, but more importantly, I was relieved that there was a solution to my problem. And, you know, I, I was entirely willing at that time and I got a temporary sponsor and she started to take me through the steps because I was, I was just so keen to do this, you know. I had, um, I'd been in rehabs and I had done psychologists and psychiatry and social workers and, you know, the whole kit and caboodle and nothing had worked for me. And so I saw this as my last chance, I, I suppose, and I just really wanted to get on and do it. So I got this sponsor and I started to do some reading with her, but... The critical day for me was um, I went to the gallery and a woman who'd come in at the same time as me had drunk again and I was about a month sober and I sat on the train on my way home thinking, that's it, that's it, AA doesn't work, what the hell am I going to do now? You know, I just, I'd lost that little bit of hope that I'd got. But somehow I thought about ringing somebody and I rang this woman who I'd asked to be my sponsor and she um, she told me that I was at a crossroads, you know, like it talks about in the book, that I either had to accept a higher power or I could drink. And um, I did the third step prayer with her over the phone. That, re- that sponsorship relationship didn't work out, but... I got some very, very key things from her and one of the main things was that I needed to have a higher power in my life and she suggested to me that at certain times in the day I actually stop and hand my will and my life over to the care of God intermittently. And I was studying full-time at the time, so what I did was I programmed my um, calendar on my computer so that at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock... These little things would pop up and say, your will, not mine. So I'd stop whatever I was doing and I'd sit there and I'd say, your will, not mine. And then there were the days when I was in the computer lab at university and I'd be looking at the clock. Your will, not mine. And what what I found was that I got this momentary peace that no matter what else was going on, and there's always a lot going on, Um, no matter what was going on, I got this moment of peace. And it would pass almost as soon as I'd finished saying, not mine. But, you know, it gave me the encouragement to keep on doing it. Um, I used to really love it um, when I... um, I'm going to jump forward a little bit, but um, Ingrid and I used to go to a steps group together and um, I used to share about having done that and there was another guy who used to go to this steps group and he heard me talking about having these stops every now and again. And he was a bus driver and one night he shared that he had taken notice of what I'd said and he'd started pulling his bus over <laughs> at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. So they got known as God stops. Um, and um, so it's amazing how these things can evolve as each person adapts them into their lives. Um, and that's what I love about this program. You know, if people had told me to pray, at, you know, before I came into AA, I would have thought they were complete wankers, you know. And... Um, and what I really love about this program is we get these practical, practical 
ideas about how we can put a higher power into our lives and and the God box was another one. You know, how do I hand something over? How many newcomers ask, but how do I hand it over? And someone told me to get a God box and to actually write out whatever was troubling me at the time and put it in the box. And then whenever the thought came to me about that particular issue, you know, and it was full, um, you know, I'd literally go through this process of handing the problem over. And eventually I didn't need to do that anymore. I'd just say, no, I'm not going to think about that. That's with God. You know, but just those really practical tips. I'm so thankful to the people in this program for those things. Um, so, as I said, that sponsorship relationship didn't work out and I, I was sort of directionless for the next nine months or so. But I kept on doing what this woman had suggested that I do and I, had a, I did a reading every morning. I got daily reflections. Actually, no, I got the non-conference approved one first. Um, but, you know, so I'd read in the mornings and, and think about what the day ahead was going to be like. Not that I could necessarily plan it because nothing ever goes the way I'd plan it. But, um, you know, and I'd say the prayers. I'd say the third step prayer and I'd say the serenity prayer. And that would launch me for the day. When I was nine months sober, I had to move to the country and um, for work. And that was something I really fought against. I didn't want to go, but in retrospect, you know, my higher power definitely had a plan for me that I couldn't have had ever dreamed up myself. And um, I was going to a steps meeting in Dalesford on Tuesday nights, and there was this woman there who just had this remarkable spirituality. I had nothing else in common with her except for the fact that we were alcoholics. But her spirituality just spoke volumes to me and, um, and I asked her to be my sponsor because I knew that this is a spiritual program and that I needed someone who had what I wanted and what I wanted was to get this program to stay sober. And that woman was actually Peter's wife. Um, so it was obviously after <laughs> that other period. And, um, you know, so I, I would go down and... Um, and spend each Saturday night with her in the country and, um, you know, we'd sit and read the big book and she took me through the steps with that. And the one thing that she kept emphasising for me was that as my sponsor, her role was to guide me into my relationship with my higher power so that I had dependence on no one but my higher power. And that was, that was her objective. And I used to talk to her about... Um, you know, people in town ringing their sponsors every day and, you know, or wanting to ring her more often to talk about the crap that was going on in my life. And she'd refer to me, refer me to a page in the big book and say, this isn't about me, this is about you and your relationship with your higher power. You don't need to talk to me every day if you're working your program. You know, I don't want to make your decisions for you. I don't want to guide you through all the decisions you make. I'm only here to help you stay sober a day at a time and you need to talk to your higher power about this other stuff. But if you're having problems with getting in touch with your higher power, that's when I'll help you. And, you know, it's turned out to be very salient advice because whenever I felt blocked off from my higher power, I'd become full of resentment and fear 
and all those other sorts of defects that would stand in my way. So I'd ring her and I'd blurt them about to her and she'd say, well, you need to do an inventory. And Peter's right. You can't talk about step 10 without doing, talking about step 11 because I have to do those inventories. I have to look at the truth of what's going on for me if I am to be free enough and open enough to have my conscious contact with my higher power. So after she had taken me through the steps, I... Um, I was religious about doing my daily inventory. You know, every night I would sit down and I would do my columns in my diary and I would also have... um, I I made a point of talking about what I had done well that day just so that it wasn't all negative. Um, And I I would look at my fears and resentments that had been accumulated through the day and I would get on my knees and I'd ask God to remove my defects of character. I would pray for all the people in my life and those I had resentments on. And, um, you know, and this became a real ritual. In the morning I would do my daily reading. I would say the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, the serenity prayer, and then I would go about my day. And when I was living in the country, I, I would go walking every morning. And what I found was that when I had things that were really niggling with me, I would stomp to the rhythm of the serenity prayer. You know, God, grant me the serenity. To, the first line doesn't work, I have to say. But, um, you know, and I would be stomping around, chanting the serenity prayer in the hope that answers would be revealed to me. And slowly but surely, you know, things sort of started to, to fall in place. Um, I used to always struggle with what, what is God's will? And um, my sponsor used to say that she'd been told by a monk that it's the uh-uh voice. You need to listen to the uh-uh voice. When you get the uh-uh voice, that's when you're not doing God's will, you know. And um, But I... I can't sit still long enough to hear the uh-uh voice half the time. Or I, I hear it faintly in the distance, you know, and I think, no, it's not really that voice. And I keep on doing whatever I was going to do. Um, and I suppose that's been a lesson for me in the last few years. I, you know, that, that program was my program for a very, very long time. And I did it religiously, daily, for a long time. And then... As happens, you know, life gets busy and I stop doing it. Um, and I, and what, I, what happened was I started to shut myself off from my higher power. Because I had stopped doing my inventory, I started to get wrapped up in self again, you know. And I was living in a relationship with someone I didn't even like. Um, and, you know, and I nearly drank again. There is no two ways about it. It was one night I noticed that I was... You know, I had a choice of which road I was going to take and I nearly took the road that was going to lead me back to a drink. And so I rang my sponsor and I told her what was going on and she said, well, have you been doing your inventories? And I said, no, I haven't got time. And she said, well, you know, how long does it take? Oh, two minutes? (laughs) You know, and she said, well, maybe if you do an inventory, you'll find that you'll be able to work out what God's will for you is in all of this. And um, and I did that inventory and I left the relationship very quickly. And what it was, was I hadn't been wanting to look at the truth of it. And I started by talking about, you know, today my meditation is about observing what is right now. You know, most of the trouble I get into is when I can't accept what is right now. And I don't look at the truth of what is right now. And um, And it says, may you find God, may you find him now. 
you know. <coughs> and it is. It's, it's about now. Um, but I wasn't looking at now because I didn't like now. And that's what I was running from. So I... Um, you know, and I, I threw myself back into the program. I got back into doing my inventory, and it actually talks about it. I'm going to test my memory. I'm going to get it wrong, so I, I won't even bother. At the end of one of the chapters, it talks about how if we do it, it must be um, chapter six, um, if we do this stuff on a daily basis, life is easier and we are less tired. You know, I was really tired and I wasn't doing that stuff because it was going to take all of two minutes. And the reality is that when I do this stuff, I am less tired because I'm not carrying this emotional baggage and I'm not having to do it all on my own. But, you know, life does get busy and I stopped doing it again and I became complacent. And the one thing that really stands out for me about Bill's message in this book is that if we are to ensure our sobriety, not only do we have to work vigorously with other alcoholics, but we need to enlarge our spiritual lives. And I had stopped doing that. You know, I, I had fleeting moments of conscious contact with a higher power, but really I had started to run the show myself again. And, um, and the other thing that I'd always done was I did, often did the questions that, you know, it talks about the questions to ask ourselves in the mornings and the questions to ask ourselves at night. And Joe and Charlie used to talk about it on their tapes about, you know, that was Bill W's meditation for busy people. And so I always used that as an excuse for not enlarging my spiritual life or not looking for other ways of doing things. I was going to do it by the book um, because Bill had it right. And, of course, he did. It worked for me for a very, very long time. But I was, therefore, very critical of people who looked outside for other spiritual guidance and stuff And because um, I was a busy person and Bill W. said that was all I needed to do. Um, you know, and, and maybe if I had done it properly, it would have been all I needed to do. But what I wasn't doing was I wasn't taking the time to sit. Most of my time that I had been dedicating to prayer and meditation was really about prayer. I've heard around these rooms you know, that prayer is about talking to God and that meditation is about listening. And for me, I was doing a lot of talking. You know, that's what I do. I do a lot of talking and I'm not a very good listener. And um, so last year when I was celebrating my 10th anniversary, I decided that it was time to take the bull by the horns and it was time to explore another avenue of spirituality and I went and did a 10-day silent meditation retreat and I started listening. You know, I was able to start listening properly and start listening to what is right now, you know, to be able to observe the reality around me just as it is right now and if I can't observe it, I can't accept it and if I can't accept what's going on for me, then... um, you know, I start to be full of fear and resentment and judgment and all those other things that Peter was talking about that prevent me from staying sober a day at a time. And what I found by actually sitting and listening was I got put, tu- I got put back in touch with what I really am about. You know, my core principles and values and who I really, really am deep down And as a result of having done that, I was able to leave a job that was making me incredibly miserable. Um, I believed very strongly that I couldn't leave a job unless I had another one to go to. That was an old idea 
by listening to now I can stop I can let go of old ideas you know and um, so I just left my job and it was quite an amazing moment a very freeing moment for someone who'd been so wrapped up in ambition and career and everything else I had no idea where I was going or what I was going to do and the last four weeks have told me thank God I did that you know, Jenny's nodding because four weeks ago my partner became extremely ill and nearly died and I had the time and the availability to be able to care for him and I will need to care for him for a little longer, you know, but I didn't know that in December when I handed in my resignation. Um, I also um, have been able to sit and listen about what my next direction will be, you know, and I start a new career in September, which is also a very amazing thing for me. I'm going to do something that I always dreamed of doing but never had the courage to do, you know, and I'm going to be working for myself, which apparently alcoholics are much better at than working in large organisations. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that too. Um, you know, this when I came in, this looked like the ultimate step, you know, the, the big spiritual guru type step. But here was some very, very practical advice about how to put it into my life. When things are going really rough in my life, sometimes I just ask for knowledge of your will for me and, more importantly, the power to carry it out. And sometimes that is as simple as it needs to get. You know, my prayers don't have to be really complicated. If I'm struck with a very, very difficult decision, that is all I ask. And more often than not, I really know what God's will is for me. God's will for me is that I don't harm anybody, you know, whether it's me or anybody else who's in my life. And sometimes hard decisions need to be made to avoid harm to people, and sometimes painful decisions need to be made, you know. But then I have to ask for the power to carry it out, you know, the courage and... Um, I'm not always good at that. I mean, oh God, I stayed in a job for 18 months where I was as miserable as hell and I was making people around me miserable. And I tried everything. I tried everything and now I know I just wasn't meant to be there. It wasn't who I was. and it, You know, but I fought against that because of everything else that was, you know, that went with that job, you know, prestige and everything else. Um, so sometimes I know that I'm not meant to be doing something, but I lack the power to do something else. And that's what I need to ask for. I need to ask God for that power. Um, you know, and the reality is that by practising this step on a daily basis, you know, it's a lot more intrinsic these days and a lot more intuitive. Um, you get results. Bill talks about it in the book, that if we act as if we've got faith... And we take the actions based on the willingness to have faith, we get results, and then ultimately we get real faith. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen, and um, it just takes a lot of perseverance and a lot of willingness, open-mindedness and honesty. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, I'm really grateful um, to have been asked to speak today. I'm really, this is you know, a topic that's very dear to my heart, particularly at the moment because I've been rocketed into that fourth dimension that Bill talks about um, through a spiritual way of life. And, you know, 
as I said, I, I thought it was a really wanky, daggy thing to have a higher power and to have a spiritual a spirituality. But now I know it's the greatest blessing that you could have given me. So thank you. Information about the annual Melbourne Alcoholics Anonymous Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.